What a wonderful crowd this morning. Praise the Lord. This is fantastic. And those of you who are watching by Facebook, we're so glad that you're here. And online, of course, uh, we're blessed to have you with us. Boy, how exciting it is to be back in the house of the Lord. What a, what a joy. All right, well, it's a special day this morning, as every day on Sunday should be. I was driving in, and I was thinking about just life, and it was early, and the sun was just beginning to come up over the horizon, and, and I thought, you know, it's, it's so easy to forget about the importance of Sunday, and I started talking to myself. You ever done that? Yeah, you do that all the time. I know you do. And I was just saying, Lord, what is it that's special about this day? Well, the Lord has told us it's about God's people getting together. There's something unique about the day the Lord set aside for the church to gather, and that is today. And uh, it's just a precious, precious thing. Can I just read you a passage of Scripture from Hebrews that I was thinking about this morning? And it'll, it'll show us again how critical this day is. Uh, now, I won't teach through the whole context of everything, but this is the letter uh, to the Hebrew believers about what God has done so that they will see as God's people now that they are Christians and following Christ uh, the technical work that God has done and who Jesus is. So he says in verse 19 of chapter 10, since we have confidence, listen to the wording, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. In other words, we, we can now take great comfort and joy in knowing, just like we sang, Lord, change my heart, that we can be confident in the relationship we have in the Lord by a new and a living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil. And you know, in the temple there, there was that veil that separated the priest and the people, uh, the holy place from the holy of holies. But that is through his flesh, Jesus died for us that we might have direct access with God the Father. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart. And this is what Missy was talking about. It is with a sincere heart that we come in full assurance of faith. Don't you love the confident, positive words that the Lord uses? Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Aren't you thankful for that? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is what I was thinking about. Forsaking not our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I think one of the things that we did early on when this COVID thing started, and I know we still want to be careful, we want to be wise, and you're doing that, but that is to gather ourselves together. I think it was one of the greatest things we ever did. As a, when the governor gave us the, the green light to go, uh, we said, yep, we're going to take it. And uh, it has been a true blessing. And so uh, I just feel the overwhelming sense of joy this morning of what it means to be God's people and to be gathered together. I hope you never tire of that. God says, don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. You need to be with one another. And you need to be worshiping me as my people. And so that's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here to worship and glorify God. The church has one priority above everything else, and that is to worship God. And we do that collectively. Isn't that a blessing? All right. Well, I was just thinking about that. That was a freebie for you. You won't be charged extra for that at the door. Nothing like that. There's not going to be any charge on your credit card or anything. You can just take that for free. Okay. So let me give you several announcements here. There's quite a bit going on. First of all, I want to thank Pastor Scott 
for filling in. It's a little bit of a different morning for us. You probably said that. We said, where is Pastor Hamp? Well, he's down speaking Spanish right now in the service downstairs. And so what's going on is this, is that uh, Pastor Scott, every other Sunday now, is going to be down there uh, helping Ernesto make some transition into some changes that they're having to make. And so Pastor Scott's going to be filling in on Sunday mornings down there. So Scott had to be out of town today to be at a church where his father and uh, mother go. So he's preaching right now, too, out of town. That left Pastor Hamp. And so he is fluent in 12 different languages. And so he's down there now teaching them Spanish. Okay? So uh, they should know a lot. No, I'm just kidding about that. So thankfully, Missy and Chloe and who else? We don't want to be Pasquale and Tom Selleck. Where's Tom? Where's Tom? He left. Okay. You may have seen him on Magnum PI. That's him. It's a great cookie duster he's got right there. But um, precious brother, thank you all for filling in this morning as Pastor Ham's downstairs. So that's what's going on today. But I want to thank Pastor Scott for filling in. There was no way my wife and I could be back. We had planned to be back last Sunday, uh, but we were moving our oldest son and daughter-in-law and children, grandchildren, and uh, they just really needed our help. And so I've always said to Pastor Scott, make sure that you've got a sermon in your pocket because you just never know when something's going to come up. So I put him to the test. <laughs> And he certainly did and came through victoriously. And I heard many comments about that. So he did a great job. Yeah. All right. So here's several other things. Today is National Read-A-Book Day. This is from Thea and Neil. And she's given us this information. We have our new little children's lending library. If you haven't seen that, it's back here on the playground. Uh, it's a beautiful little uh, uh, box of sort things set up there where people can come drop off a book, pick up a book. It was kind of comical the other night. Neil and I were in a meeting, and he comes in arms full of clothing. And I said, what, what's going on? And he said, this is the donation that was left in the book library. <laughs> so I think people thought it was a Goodwill Dropbox or something. And so um, anyway, that's not what it is. It's for the, for the books. And uh, Thea says the plaque has been ordered and will be officially registered. Uh, today, after this service, this service now, the children can stay if you have time and the wherewithal to help paint their handprints on the new library, okay? So if you want to stay and do that. Now, tonight is an outdoor movie night, right? So if you've been busting to watch a movie tonight at 8 o'clock here on the premises, right here live at Laurel Hill on the big screen showing End of the Spear. Now, if you haven't seen that movie, that's the one on the five missionaries uh, some years ago that gave their life sacrificially uh, trying to reach the tribal people there in the Amazon River region. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. Um, you are invited to come bring your own chair and a beverage and socially distance. Okay, we're just going to add that onto everything we do now. It's just going to become common vernacular, socially distance. I don't know, socially distance from your spouse, from your children, <laughs> you know, whatever. You park your cars socially distant from each other, and that's going to be norm. You can get a free bag of microwave popcorn, right, Thea? If you RSVP. Okay, so you've got to see Thea if you want a free bag of microwave popcorn tonight. That is tonight at 8 o'clock. Now, next movie night will be another outdoor movie night, and that's going to be Night at the Museum. All right, Night at the Museum. Beyond that, and you hopefully you've gotten the email uh, this week that our Disciples in Action classes will begin. Actually, class right now, we're still working through what to do about the children, so be patient with us on that. But we wanted to go ahead and keep moving forward. That's what God's soldiers do. Amen. We keep moving and uh, we don't just settle. We keep on going. So 
Uh, we're going to have a class at 6.30 this Wednesday night. It's a David Jeremiah study uh, entitled, um, I Never Thought I'd See the Day When, dot, dot, dot. Okay, and there's going to be about a 10-week study. So you can get your own book, uh, and please do that, uh, however you choose to do it, electronically, or you can get your own copy, and we'll begin that class this Wednesday night. Here on the premises, we'll also be doing it by Zoom as well for those of you that would rather stay home. And we certainly honor that if that's your feeling about things still. Also, don't forget next Saturday, September the 12th, beginning at 9 a.m., there's going to be a shoebox work workshop. That's for the Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. Okay? The regional director is going to be with us. Uh, she is the regional director for the three counties around us in Charlottesville and have heard about the great and glorious work that you have done and our sister Deanna and Kitty have done over the years and want to pick your brains about how you have done this. And uh, they've invited lots of other people to come and to get better equipped to do a bigger job with shoebox. Okay? Special speakers are going to be here. And uh, so that's next Saturday. And then following Sunday, uh, we'll have our communion service okay, next Sunday. So that's a lot. Uh, but that's good, right? It's exciting that there are things that are happening. And so if you can make any or all of these events, do as you can, all right? Okay, well, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll stand and read the scripture right after that. Father, how could we be anything more than joyful today as we have another opportunity, a privilege, to gather as your people? Lord, we thank you for... Uh, the joy of what the Hebrew writer wrote for us, that uh, through your own body, you became the door for our salvation. Lord, you gave your sacrifice, you paid the sacrifice for us, the eternal debt that we owe to the Father, you gave up of yourself so that we might have life through you. And so we come honoring you and worshiping you today and pray that you would hear our hearts as we hear from you. And so we would ask you now, as you not only bless these things we've talked about this coming week, but that you would bless our minds and our spirits as we open them to you so that we will be instructed by your word. We need the instruction, and you know that. And so give to us, Lord, what you want us to know this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are in Matthew chapter 6, and so please stand as we read verses 1 through 4 as Jesus is continuing on in his sermon. Beginning in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, amen. Please be seated. Because I'm not the most creative person in the world, uh, I struggle with what to title things at times, but this is what kind of jumped out at me, and that is, don't be a phony. I think Jesus is dealing with the subject of hypocrisy here. And so that's what we need to deal with, the subject of hypocrisy. So don't be a phony in your life. And you know, hypocrisy has been around. It's not something new. It's been around since the beginning of time, since man was first created. In fact, specifically in Genesis chapter 3 is when we see it the most clearly. And that is when Eve has disobeyed God. 
She has eaten of the forbidden fruit and she's given to her husband and now her husband along with her sees their evil intentions and their nakedness before the Lord and God questions them on it and he says, well, it was this woman that you gave to me. She's the one who caused all the problem. Now what he was doing in that is exposing his own hypocrisy right there by saying, God, not only was it not my fault, It was her fault, and better yet, it was your fault because you gave her to me. In other words, I'm clean, so you can't get me in trouble. That's hypocrisy. That's just not the way it was. And so it really began right there. And hypocrisy followed from them right into their own children. You remember the story of the brothers, Cain and Abel? God required a sacrifice. Cain gave, but he didn't give the best. Abel did, gave her the best of what he had. Cain didn't like it, that his brother was appreciated by God, and so Cain took his life, took his brother's life. All in a hypocritical stance because he thought and wanted to look better. Thought he looked good and wanted to look better. And so it all began right there. And really it has gone throughout history with various people, and I'm going to point that out uh, in a lot of ways here just to give you a lot of examples of how hypocrisy just floods humanity in our day. But let me read you something that kind of shocked me when I read this illustration. It goes like this. He made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessing of the Almighty and the Christian confessions which would become the pillars of the new government. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic responsibility. He handed out pious stories to the press, especially to the church papers. He showed his tattered Bible and declared that he drew his strength for his great work from its scores of pious people who welcomed his, and and pious people welcomed him as a man sent from God. But get this, indeed Adolf Hitler was a master of outward religiosity with no inward reality. We should really hinge on that last phrase right there. Let me read it again. A master of outward religiosity with no inward reality. We should all ask ourselves that very question. How are we doing in that way? Well, again, as I promised you, let me give you some other illustrations of how everybody plays the hypocrite at times. And you say, no, I don't, Pastor, so don't talk to me about that. Well, we would probably all look at you and say, see, you're proving our point. (laughs) To be a hypocrite simply means that you're wearing a mask. It's a term that talks about, it was used really as a a play actor, a person who did plays or performed plays. They became someone other than who they really are. And so it was understood to be a hypocrite. To be a hypocrite is to become someone who you are not. As C.S. Lewis said, we are all consciously or subconsciously put forward a better image of ourselves than really exists. Interesting. And that's true, isn't it? Could we just be honest this morning and say, yes, that's true? Either consciously or subconsciously or even unconsciously, we put together a face that is not what really exists there. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I think uh, really fundamentally, it's insecurity. Uh, We are just, sin has so overrun us with fear my wife and I were talking about that just the other day. It's amazing how much fear just consumes us. And fear brings out the worst in us. 
where we will promote ourselves as being greater than the other person because we don't want to look bad, right? We don't want to look like we have problems. We will say and do things to make others think we're better off than we really are. All that's to play the hypocrite is really what that means. Leaders play the hypocrite, and we certainly know that. And I'm talking about political leaders, and we don't have to go very far down that road, do we? To know that political leaders play the hypocrite. There's one funny story that I read that I wanted to share with you, and it goes like this. that During one of his political campaigns, a delegation called on Theodore Roosevelt at his home in Oyster Bay, Long Island. The president met them with his coat off and his sleeves rolled up. Ah, gentlemen, he said. Come down to the barn and we'll talk while I do some work. At the barn, Roosevelt picked up a pitchfork and looked around for the hay. And then he called out, John, where's all the hay? Sorry, sir, John called down from the hayloft. I ain't had time to toss it back down again after you picked it up while the Iowa folks were here. (laughs) So, So isn't that funny? So even the best of political people play the hypocrite and uh, we could probably call a lot of names but we'll be nice we don't want to do that business people play the hypocrite Uh, there are times where business people want your business and they will promote in front of you the best of the business especially the best of their product so much so that you are their best friend until you have a problem with their product and then they don't want to talk to you right it happens all the time Business people can play the hypocrite. People, in fact, I've read this in, a, in a, um, an online uh, magazine, I guess it is. I've never heard of it before. It's called HR Drive, D-R-I-V-E. And the HR is not, a, it's not about driving a car. It's about human resources. So it comes from that kind of background. It says that more than a third of all people lie on their resume. A third of all people lie on their resume. And you think the number of resumes that are out there in the world, a third of those being people who have lied in some way, shape, or form. Now, usually it's because of the things we just talked about. Because there is a fear there. If I don't put my best face forward, I'm not going to get the job. I'm not going to be looked at. And so, even in a very well-meaning sense, people can be hypocritical. Sports figures, as amazing as they are these days, promote themselves to be bigger and better than the next guy or the next girl so that they can get the best contract. And there's nothing wrong with having the next best contract, but often they'll hold out for money because they believe they're something that somebody else doesn't really believe that they are. They promote themselves that way, that they should have more money than the next guy. But unfortunately, often the owner will pay for them the huge sums of money and still not win a championship. What's the deal with that? Well, maybe that person wasn't quite as good as they said that they were because we all do that in some ways. I already told you about actors, but actor Robert Redford one day was walking through a hotel lobby and a woman saw him and followed him to an elevator and said, are you the real Robert Redford? And she asked with great excitement. And as the doors of the elevator were closing, he replied, only when I'm alone. And that was probably the most accurate statement that most people could ever make. Now, as we break it on down to the bottom of the pile here, or the top of the pile, wherever you want to put yourself, we could say that even moms and dads play the hypocrite at times with their children. 
And nobody knows that better than the children, right? <laughs> They've said before that you can fool anybody in the family except your children. They'll see right through you every time. One blistering hot day when they had guests for dinner, mother asked four-year-old Johnny to return thanks. But I don't know what to say, the boy complained. Oh, just say what you hear me say. <laughs> Should I just stop right there? <laughs> you, just, you just fill in the blanks. Well, obediently, the boy bowed his head and mumbled, Oh, Lord, why did I invite these people over on such a hot day like this? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny, isn't it? You know why we laugh at stuff like that? Because we just see ourselves in there, don't we? That's why we laugh. Well, let me tell you another one. This is something my boys and I have laughed about over the years. Years ago, I started taking them, and you probably remember this, I started taking them to a father-son retreat way out in Western Carolina. And a part of the trip is for dads just to be with their sons. That's really the goal and to spend some spiritual time together. And uh, there's a lake on the premises that they have life jackets and, and canoes and just the ability to fish. And <clears throat> so the boys and I have always enjoyed going out on the lake. Well, there was a dad who was showing his son how to, um, how do we say, get in the canoe properly. And so if you've ever been in a canoe, you know that they can be a little tippy, right? And so he says he's got all his gear on, his fishing pole, and the son is standing here just kind of watching dad. You know, dad is his hero. And uh, dad says, now here's how you do it, son. You take your right foot and you step over into the boat like this. And no sooner had he done that, that that boat did a barrel roll. And in the water he went in about three seconds and comes up... <laughs> And his son is just, Dad, Dad, Dad. I'm all right, son. I'm all right, son. I said, you need some help? <laughs> I'm just trying not to laugh. The boys and I were standing right there. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's a perfect picture of Dad being the hypocrite, right? <laughs> Come on, Dad. <laughs> you can do better than that. And then there's the people who start to talk. Right? That's the new lingo today, right? They're talking. I mean, in our day, it was dating, going out. You know, but now he's talking to so-and-so, she's talking to so-and-so, right? So in, in the talking to each other, people only share what's good about themselves, right? My wife and I had a conversation the other day with one of our sons about dating and whatnot, and we said, so have you told her this? Or she told you that? Oh, no, we haven't talked about any of that yet. Well, that's because we don't want them to know that stuff, right? We want them to know only what's best about our lives, and so we'll exaggerate ourselves to make ourselves look better because we don't want anybody to see our weaknesses, right? You don't want anybody to see your weaknesses. Let's just all do this. Let's all stand up and just tell your neighbor a real weakness that you have, right? <laughs> that you've been struggling with. We don't want to do that, right? We much less don't even want to be in a conversation with somebody if we have to share any weaknesses that we have. Well, the truth is that even, even the best of people, the religious people, play the hypocrite. And you're gathering that already, acting as if they are on the top of the religious circles. I thought this was kind of funny. Some years ago, a remarkable picture was exhibited in London. As you looked at it from a distance, you seemed to see a monk engaged in prayer. And his hands are clasped, and his, I kind of picture it like this. His head is bowed. And as you come nearer, <clears throat> however, and examine the painting more closely you saw that in reality he was squeezing a lemon into a punch bowl. <laughs> so what appears to be great religious depth may be nothing more than that. <clears throat> and so 
uh, Christians can often play the hypocrite and play so well. And I'm not saying the monk was a Christian, but I'm saying Christians themselves can play the hypocrite so well that they convince even those they're leading to follow the wrong path. And that can be very, very dangerous. But here's a, a humorous situation where a rather pompous-looking deacon was endeavoring to impress upon a class of boys the importance of living the Christian life. And his question was this, why do people call me a Christian? And one little boy scratched his head and said after a moment, maybe it's because they don't know you. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. So, you know, even those who really want to promote themselves as being the right thing can often get <laughs> the wrong kind of results. You know that even in Jesus' day, there were professional mourners. If you've studied the scripture, you know this. These were literally people who were hired uh, by the Hebrew people and other people around them to go and, and be the mourners at some service of the dead person. Uh, but just to show you how hypocrisy plays into that, I read where a part of what the Jewish culture would do is to tear the clothing as a sign of mourning. Uh, but what they did is they would, they'd gotten smart enough to tear it at the stitch that they had torn before so that they could quickly stitch it back together for another show. I mean, funeral program kind of thing. So even in those days, as they would weep and wail and moan, uh, and by the way, be paid for that, uh, they played the part of the hypocrite. And so there's good and bad, right, uh, is what the point is. And there's going to be more. God has said that. This is not the end of it. In 1 Timothy 4, the Spirit explicitly says, in the latter times, some will fall away. Listen to this now. They'll fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. That's teachings of the enemy, Satan. How? Verse 2. By means of hypocrisy, of liars. That's what the Lord says. There's coming a day where, and it already is, but it's going to get worse, where people will be so believable that people will fall away from the faith because of their hypocrisy. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, as we've had some fun with all of that, uh, we realize it really is a big problem, and we have to admit that. Hypocrisy is a big problem. And so because it's such a big problem, Jesus addresses the subject by giving a warning to all hypocrites. That's us, folks, right? Especially the scribes and the Pharisees because that's who he's dealing with predominantly here, but the people are listening to this. Now, if you notice in the first verse, the Lord makes a general statement about hypocrisy, but then he's going to use the subject of money as his illustration to get his point across. Okay? That's what he's doing here. Because hypocrisy can fit in lots of subjects. But Jesus is going to talk specifically about the giving of money. And that's where we want to go with him on this. So notice he says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. The word beware is just how you and I would use it. It is to, the, the technical meaning would be to take hold of, to be aware of, or to be on guard against your false hearts. That's really what he's saying here. Beware, pay attention to who you are in your heart when it comes to this subject. Those sinful tendencies that drive you in the wrong direction to be someone whom you are not. And notice he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. The word practicing there is that idea of doing it on a regular basis. Beware of practicing this to be noticed 
That's not the deal. Don't do that, basically, is what he's saying. And so the Lord, the Lord is warning them and warning us to not show off ourselves. That's really the bottom line, because showing off is like acting. It's the, the hypocrite. Don't do that. He says, don't be someone you are not. Don't do anything to make yourself look better than you are, if we were going to make this a general statement. And the Lord's warning was so serious, he said he would reject them, talking to Israel, if they didn't confess their sin over this. I'm going to give you just one illustration here, but there are many of them in the prophets. But here's one from Isaiah chapter 1, right in the beginning of Isaiah's book, in verse 11 and following. The Lord says to them, I have had enough of your burnt offerings and your rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. Now, they were required to bring these things to God. But God says, this has no meaning to me. Listen, when you come to appear before me who requires of you this trampling of my, my courts, in other words, what are you doing? What is the deal here? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Wow. Imagine that the God of all gods, the God of the universe, hiding his eyes from our prayers. Can you imagine that? Your hands, yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. They had gone so far down the wrong road. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. In other words, as the other prophets would say, be the people I called you to be. And stop trying to be something that you're not. You're just a bunch of showmen. And I hate that, is what the Lord is saying. And you better do this before it's too late, or I will certainly judge you for it. And that was the message to Israel. And so God is not interested in phonies. Can we just say that? He is not interested in phonies. He wants the real deal. He wants people to be genuine from the heart. Number one, about his relationship with them. That's what he wants, number one. In other words, don't pretend to have a relationship with God when you don't. That's what he's saying. And you know whether you have a real relationship with God or not. God says, don't try to make it look like you've got a relationship with me when you don't. That's hypocrisy, and I can't stand it. And secondly, with everybody else. Not just with me, but don't try to make yourself look all spiritual and right in front of other people when you're not really spiritual and right. God doesn't want men-pleasers. What he wants is God-pleasers. And the reason he wants God-pleasers is because in our sinful tendencies, we will rob God of his glory, won't we? We'll do it. Our sinfulness will rob God of his glory. We will pull from God what we can pull from him because we in our sinfulness want the glory. We want the spotlight. Shine on me, everybody, and let me show you how great I am. But God says in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. It's not going to happen. And so we're to be careful. So we're to be real. Be who we are. Don't make yourself to be something that you're not. 
That should be very clear, right? Now, to make his point, this is what I said earlier, Jesus is going to use this illustration of giving to poor people because evidently that was a real problem in this scenario. So Jesus speaks here in two kinds of rewards by using this illustration of giving to the poor. First, there's a negative reward, and that's in verse 2, and then there's a positive reward in verses 3 and 4. Okay, so let's look at the negative first. Notice he says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, don't really know what this blowing of the trumpet was all about. There have been different opinions about it. Was it something literally that they did? I don't think so. I think the Lord is just using a common expression of the day to elevate themselves. Hey, everybody, look what I'm doing, right? Maybe the horn's their mouth, you know, calling out to everybody. I'm giving to the poor now. Come see how great I am. I think it was probably along those lines. And so the Lord is saying, yes, you are to give. You're to very much show pity to the poor. I think Jesus is, is showing this. And wisely give to those in need. And the Lord has made that clear throughout the days of Scripture. That we are to be givers to those people who are truly in need. In fact, in Leviticus 25, the Lord said this, in the case of a countryman of yours, somebody who's there with you, if they become poor and his means with regard to you falter, then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner, somebody that doesn't belong to your tribal people or in your area, that he may live with you. In other words, the point is, if somebody falls on hard times, and boy, that's us today, right? I mean, some people are doing extremely well financially, but there are others among us who have lost their jobs over all this COVID thing. And that's who the Lord's talking about here. And if they're not able to keep up with their final financial obligation to you, perhaps you're a business owner or whatever, or you've loaned somebody money who is a countryman of yours, the Lord says you are to work with them through their hardship. Be kind to them, show some mercy, show some grace, and be patient. And then in Deuteronomy 15, here's another one. It even goes closer to home. If there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers, and we could take that to mean one of your Christian brothers, but this is specifically speaking to Israel in this context. In any of your towns or your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. But you shall freely open your hand to him and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. How about that? That's how deep it goes. But then the Lord gives a warning here. In verse 9, Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and your eye is hostile toward your brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry out against you to the Lord and will be sin to you. And what's he talking about? What he's talking about there is every seventh year in Israel, God required the people to forgive the debts. Every seventh year. And so the Lord's saying, now, you jokers out there who are calculating all of this, don't be thinking this. Oh, my brother comes to me on the sixth year. He needs a sum of money, but next year's the year of forgiveness, so I'm not going to give it to him because I've got to forgive it and I won't get my money back. You see? The Lord says, that's a wrong heart. Now, you give to your brother who has need and don't think anything of it. 
Okay? So we're just setting the foundation for what Jesus is arguing his point over. Let's look at another one. When a slave was freed, and certainly Israel had slaves, he was to be sent away with supplies to sustain them. So in other words, when a person sent them free, you're not just to give them the cans of food that you don't like, right? Oh, here, take this can of split peas, right? Or this nasty can of carrots. Now, I know I got carrot lovers out there. I'm not a carrot lover, but you know, it's, you remember the days when the postal service would have you put cans of food on the, on the mailbox out there? And you'd go to your food pantry and you'd find all that stuff that you'd had in there for years. And you say, oh, I'm not going to ever eat this. I'll give it to those folks, right? Well, that's not that. No, we're not to be like that. God says you're to bless them. Notice in verse 15, uh, chapter 15 again of Deuteronomy. You shall not send him away empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. Are you kidding me, God? I got to give him the good wine too? what he says you shall give to him how about this as the Lord your God has blessed you you see the standard there or how about this Deuteronomy 24 you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land or in your towns you shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets for he is poor and sets his heart on it so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord and it becomes sin to you and there are people in our day that are just like that they are looking for work they need the money and they have needs uh, we've had people come by our house that are like that that Debbie and I have tried to help uh, immediately uh, because they say they need now we didn't go and say now show me all your documentation <clears throat> give me your bills let me see all of this no, we're not, no God is saying if a person has a need it's up to you to provide that need that's what the Lord is saying and the Lord is warning, and this is the negative part here, don't give with the wrong heart. It's about the heart. Don't give with the wrong heart or a wrong motive. Any act of giving is to be kind and merciful and from the heart, simply because God has blessed us. God says, I blessed you, now you bless others. That's what I expect. Not only with, has he blessed us with salvation, but God has blessed us with material things. Could we say that this morning? It is true, right? God has blessed us greatly with material things. We are blessed people. And so God says, give to others then. And to do anything less is to receive a negative reward. God is going to bless us with a negative reward, if you want to put it that way, in the negative terms. And that reward will be what you get in this life. You want a reward? Give selfishly. And God says, okay, I'll reward you with the negative things in this life. That's what will happen. In other words, it's not going to last. You can gather all the material things that you can gather in this life, and what's going to happen? It's going to rot away, isn't it? I mean, eventually, all that stuff that you've stored up is eventually going to become somebody else's property, or it's going to find its way into we got junk, or got junk, or something like that, or Goodwill, or Salvation Army, or somewhere. Somebody else is going to look at it and say, oh, this is neat, oh, that doesn't, that's not neat, throw it away. God says, you store it for yourself, your reward's going to be what you get, and it's all going to be moth-eaten and destroyed. So, if you give only to impress people, the reward is going to be just that, praise from the people. That's why he's saying, these Pharisees, these guys that are blowing their own trumpet to look how great they are, you know what their reward is? Praise from man. You know how long that's going to last? Until the next guy comes along. 
that's better than they are. That's their reward. We don't want that. We want the eternal rewards. We want the things that are going to last. And so let's just put it this way. Anything we do for public praise, for the praise of somebody watching us, gives us only temporary praise from man. This world is fickle. I mean big time fickle. You may be the best thing since sliced bread, but when the next guy comes along that's whole wheat bread that's sliced, you're out on the street because it's a little bit better. Now, as I was alluding to earlier, it's also possible to give with the wrong heart, not intentionally or even be aware of it. This goes pretty deep. I mean, this subject is deep, man. For example, many times people will give, but do it in a way that they still get noticed. Okay? They still want the accolades for it and not even know that they're doing it. For example, let's step on some toes here. People will say, well, you know, Pastor, I didn't want anybody to know this, but I'll tell you. Ooh, I gave this amount for so-and-so. Now, we'll talk about the right part of that in just a second. The problem with that is, what was really happening in the heart is they gave because they really wanted somebody to know it. Do you see? That's where it becomes a problem. They were looking for recognition. Some people go so far as they just want that certificate. They want somebody to physically give them a certificate of recognition. I've had people say to me before, you didn't thank me for that. They wanted recognition. Some people want the brick on the wall. You know, They just say, I'll give to this organization. You're going to put my name on a brick. It's going to last throughout eternity. And everybody's going to see it. Until the guy comes along and bulldozes it down and puts up the next building. Right? But my name's on the brick. It's not wrong to give to the building. But it's wrong when we want our name lifted up. Do you see the point? And we can do that in a lot of different ways. John MacArthur tells the story of a man who came into his office one Sunday and told him, he says, I'm here to worship for the first time and I intend to make this my church home. And that's good news. Any pastor wants to hear that. And he says he handed me a generous check with the promise that I'd receive one just like it every week. And he says, I told him I didn't want to receive checks personally and suggested he just should anonymously put it in the offering plate, to which the man was not fond of wanting to do because what he really wanted to do was make himself known. Right? You see, the point is, is that when we are giving, which we're required to give, and we're to, required to give sacrificially, we'll see that in just a second, we're to do it in a way that doesn't elevate ourselves. But sometimes we can do it and not even know that we're doing it. So the warning is, if you give with a wrong heart, this is Jesus' point, if you give with a wrong heart, you're going to have no blessings from God. That's what he's saying. Only what man gives you will be your reward. And that's not going to last. Now, how about the positives? Verses 3 and 4. When you give to the poor, here we go again, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that the giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Again, so give to those in need. The Lord is emphasizing twice now. You cannot say, God doesn't require me to give. Yes, He does. God does require us to give and that's what we're getting from that. But do it in such a way that doesn't draw attention to yourself. That's the belief behind the right arm, left arm passage there. That was probably, again, some kind of expression there that the Lord was using that the people would have understood of their day so that they would get his point. The sounding of it makes it sound like 
when you think about how your body works, yesterday we were out in the yard doing some work and there were several things that my hands did during the day and my arms did during the day and not one time do I remember them consulting with each other about what they were doing. Right? I mean, my right arm just reached down and picked this up, my left arm picked this up and neither one of them said, no, wait a minute, you didn't tell me to do this or that. You didn't, you didn't tell me you were going to do that. And so that's, that's the simple point here is that as much as the body works like that, that's the way our spirit should work. And so we got to be careful that we're not trying to elevate ourselves in a way that's not right. Now, as I was saying a few moments ago, there are times where giving in secret is a wise thing to do. But know this, that people will sometimes criticize you for it if they think there's something amiss with it. Here's where I'm coming from. You may have it on your heart to give to something that you don't want anybody to know about. Somebody comes behind you and looks for the record of giving and they don't see anything. There's nothing marked down. And so the assumption is what? They're not givers. They're not giving to anything or giving to something. Maybe it's something that we're promoting or whatever it might be. Well, that may not necessarily be the case. For example, there was a story about Charles Spurgeon. You remember that name? Great pastor years ago in, in London. He and his wife, according to a, what was called Chaplain Magazine, would sell but refuse to give away the eggs their chickens laid. So even close relatives were told, quote, you may have them if you pay for them. Now that doesn't sound like something that's very kind of a pastor, right? As a result, some people labeled the Spurgeons greedy and grasping. They accepted the criticism, however, without defending themselves, and only after Mrs. Spurgeon died was the full story revealed. All the profits from the sale of the eggs went to support two elderly widows. But because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what the right hand was doing, they endured the attacks in silence. Interesting, isn't it? So it not only applies to us individually knowing, but it's the body knowing. You may be doing things that nobody else needs to be aware of. Just be careful that you're not somehow still looking for some recognition for it. You know, there are some people that will only give to the church if they get a tax break. Now, that's a certainly a, a legal thing in our country, and it's a right thing to get. We take advantage of it ourselves as we can. But even that is a wrong motive. Would you agree? We really shouldn't give to the Lord because we'll get something back in that kind of a way. But we'll talk about that in a minute, too. The fame God wants for his people is this, and that is simply to just be recognized by him. That's really what he wants. He's not concerned about how many people know you or what you do. He wants you to know him as your priority. And God will reward in his own way. And those of you who have been walking with the Lord know that. In fact, great, according to Luke 6, will be his reward. God says, love your enemies, do good to those, and lend to them, expecting nothing in return. And notice this, and your reward will be great. You say, well, what's my reward going to be? I don't know what your reward's going to be. God's going to determine what that reward's going to be. But what he does say, it's going to be great. And let me ask you this. If God says his reward's going to be great, what do you think that's going to be? It's going to be great, right? That's exactly right. He doesn't need to elaborate because he's God. He can give whatever he wants to give. And it's going to be awesome. Now, by the way, we don't give just because the other person expects it either. 
That's not the whole point of it, or it's even as excited about it. We just give because we believe the need is there. Now, it's not wrong to be excited about blessing a person. That's encouraging, but that's not really the motive either. That's not why we should be doing it. I mean, too often people get something, but really don't appreciate what you've done for them. Right? Have you ever done that? You thought to yourself, you know what? This person did this for me, and I'm going to bless them a little bit more by giving them a bonus on top of that. And when you hand it to them, you think, they're going to really thank me for this. You see the problem? I'm already starting to think about myself and how great I am because I'm going over and above. And they take that and they go, oh, thanks. See ya. They're like, what? I just gave you a bunch extra. And they're like, okay, yeah, what? You see, we're more concerned about ourselves, Right? So we don't give because the other person's expecting or not expecting. We give just because it's the right thing to do based on how God is working in our hearts. Okay? Now, sometimes, as I said a minute ago, it's not possible to give in secret. So the issue is that not whether somebody knows. The main issue is the heart. There are times where people will know, and that's just going to happen. The question is, Are you doing it because you want to be noticed? And this should be obvious now. Or is it just because it's right? The truth is, when we live righteously, when we live righteously, listen, people are going to know it, right? We're going to be, when we live righteously, the world, it's so opposite from the way the world lives, the world's going to know it. It's going to be obvious. In fact, that's what the Lord said. Let your light shine before men in Matthew 5 in such a way, we already covered this, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See your good works. This was earlier in some messages. When we show the world our good works, the world will take notice and they're going to say, wow, they must have an awesome God. So we don't have to worry about whether people are going to know it. So let's remember, God God doesn't need our giving. He wants us to give, and he's also said you need to give cheerfully. Do it with a right heart. A right heart means I give cheerfully. Not like this little girl who her mother was trying to teach her to give. A mother wanted to teach her daughter a moral lesson, so she gave the little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. I was telling the early service, do you remember the days when you were little and, and you'd get a quarter and it felt so big in your hand? You remember that? I remember every day after school, my uncle, again, I was telling the early services, uh, kind of popped into my mind. My uncle ran a country store and he sold these things called Zots. Remember those? They're little hard candies that were filled with that stuff that would make your mouth foam up. I love those things. Every day after school, mom would give me a quarter and I'd go out to the store and I'd buy 25 of those things because I could get them for a penny a piece. And I would pop those things and crunch that candy and my mouth was foaming and it was just awesome. And I remember how big that quarter felt. And I thought about this as I thought about this little girl. So mom gives this little girl a quarter and a dollar for church. Wow. And mom says, put whichever one in the collection plate that you want and keep the other for yourself. When they are coming out of the church, the mother asked the daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar. But just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter. So I did. So I'm like, this is a smart little girl. My, be- my guess is, who do you think she learned it from? Mama, that's exactly right. So, 
You know, the other side of the truth is there are a lot of people who think they're giving large amounts of money, um, but they're really not. You know, there are people that are so blessed in this life, but really uh, don't give sacrificially. So this transitions us into a little bit different story. This is the illustration of the widow's might. When the Lord is wanting us to give, he's not only just wanting us to give from our hearts, but he wants us to give sacrificially. Now, those of you that don't know the story of the widow's might, let me read it for you here. Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, and that was in the tabernacle where people would bring their offerings. And he's watching and observing all of this and how the people are putting the money into the treasury and how many rich people, Jesus says, were putting in large sums. And then there's a poor woman who came and put in two small copper coins, which was about one penny. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman put in more than all the contributors of the treasury, for they all put in of their own surplus, but she out of her poverty, but in all she owned and all she had to live on. That's sacrificial giving. And that's really what the Lord wants us to understand. So let's talk about that just as we close now. I'm going to give you quickly five things here to remember when it comes to giving. Okay? The point of the message that Jesus is giving us is about hypocrisy. So let's don't lose sight of it. It's about not being hypocritical with anything. His illustration, though, is about giving money. Because that's a big area that we struggle with. So here are five things. Number one, you already know this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 of everything we've already talked about. Giving is to be from the heart. Number one, God does not want anything from you if it's not from your heart. Okay? From your heart. Secondly, giving should be felt by the giver. In other words, it should be sacrificial. Sacrificial. For a billionaire to give a million dollars is a big deal. I mean, that's a lot of money, but that's not sacrificial. You get the point? I was amazed. Uh, I, for one, now you can take your feelings for how you feel them best. Uh, I, for one, look at a guy like Jeff Bezos. I don't know anything about him or his life other than I was saddened by the fact that he just divorced his wife, I think, after 24 years or separated or something. Maybe that's old news. I don't know. I just saw that. But he's the guy who started Amazon. I mean, that that... That thing just knocks it out of the park. Let's forget about all the ifs, ands, and buts. He is a businessman that won the game, as far as I'm concerned, right? He just figured it out. Do you know that his net worth is estimated at being $205 billion? $205 billion. So our son Jordan was showing me a video the other day of a guy. I think Jordan showed me this. I always say things about my family and they question me later. Dad, I didn't, I didn't say that. So that's my hypocrisy coming out, making myself look better. So this guy, at least I saw the video, we'll put it that way. He takes a grain of rice. In fact, he went to the store and bought these big bags of rice and he takes a grain of rice and he says, let's say this represents $100,000, one grain of rice. And he separates them all out and he spent hours separating and counting grains of rice to get up to the amount of money that Jeff Bezos had. At the time, it was like $140 billion. Now it's at $205 billion, right? And so he counts out enough to come up with the money that he would spend for his $145 million home. That's a pretty big house, right? It all fit in the palm of his hand. And then he panned the camera over to what he had left, and it was a mound of rice like this. 
after he had spent 145 million just to put it in perspective of what wealth this man has. Okay, so what am I saying? I'm simply saying that for a guy like Jeff Bezos to give $145 million to Laurel Hill is a big deal. And he hasn't, by the way. <laughs> but it doesn't scratch the surface in sacrifice. You get the point? God says, like the widow's might, the penny, I want you to give sacrificially. She gave everything. That's the true servant of God's people, of this true servant. King David said, I would not give God anything that did not cost me something. 2 Samuel 24, 24. There's a story about the saints in Jerusalem. Now, what was going on there, just so you know, is that when the acts occurred where the Holy Spirit came on the scene, there were many, many, many people that went to Jerusalem. They were there for the Passover. A lot of them stayed there. And so they became very poor. And so Paul, in his missionary journeys over the years, collected money for the saints that were there in Jerusalem. And that's the context of what he reads here about these believers. Listen, 2 Corinthians 8. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Don't you love how God writes this? God's grace was first who pricked the hearts of the people in Macedonia. That, is a great or, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In other words, these folks were dirt poor and they gave sacrificially. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability, <clears throat> those who had means, in other words, and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Now what does it mean to give beyond their ability? They were using a lot of faith. They were giving what they didn't even have. That's what he said. And they begged us with much more urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us through the will of God. That's the example that God sets. Out of things that we wonder, God, how is this going to work? Where is this going to come from? This doesn't make sense to me. It may cause me to sacrifice the things that I really want in this life, but because you're looking for it, God, and it's become a need, I'm going to give it. And that's what God is saying. And they're remembered throughout history as people who sacrificed for the Lord because they first gave themselves to Him, and then they gave as the need arose. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, God so much concern, is concerned about your giving that on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, this 1 Corinthians 16, you are to examine your heart every week about how much you're going to give to the Lord. Now, the interesting part about that is, is that some will say, you know, I have a certain amount and I give this all the time, and that's great. Praise the Lord for that. I want you to hear that. But the reality is, beloved, God wants us to examine our hearts on a regular basis, weekly as to what we're giving to him. He wants us to face the pressure of that giving every week so that we don't go into some bottom line thinking of, well, I give to the church and it kind of comes out of my check and all of that's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But what the Lord is challenging us with is every week we need to examine where our heart is when it comes to giving. So we wrestle with it. We feel it. We struggle with it. And we say, is this enough? Is this okay? 
And you see, through doing that, we're really trusting him by prayer and faith, right? You see the point? And you can read that in 1 Corinthians 16. All right, third, these last three are very, very quick. Your giving is to be based on how much you love the Lord. That's a good test. Ask yourself, how much do I love the Lord? That'll be a good determiner of how much you give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or with compulsion. In other words, ask yourself, how much do you love God? And then give accordingly. Let it be between you and God. Here's the deal. He's saying this very specifically. He doesn't want you to go, okay, I'll give it. Why is he asking me to do this? I'm talking about God. No, we give because we're blessed to give to God's work, right? That's the point. The truth is, if a person has a lot materially but loves little, Think about this. If you have a lot materially, but you love little, your giving is not going to be sacrificial unless you want man's praise, right? But even then, it'll be measured. It'll be measured by what you get. That's not what God wants. God wants us to give in direct, direct proportion to how much we love him. And he leaves that to you and me. Nobody else can tell you that. You decide and do business with God that way. Here's the fourth thing. How much you give will determine how much you receive in spiritual blessings. Now, let's be careful. This is not prosperity stuff. How much you give will determine how much you receive in spiritual blessings. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Luke 16, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, in other words, just the money of the world, who will entrust to you the true riches? Talking about the spiritual things. And if you've not been faithful in, in what... In the use of what is another's, who will give you what is not your own? I mean, in other words, if you're not careful about the things even the world gives you, why would God ever entrust to you the riches of the kingdom? It's a reality we need to think about. You know, it's possible, beloved, and I don't know the mind of God, but it's possible that God withholds his blessings sometimes because we're unfaithful with the earthly things he's provided for us. And so why should he entrust to us the spiritual things? And so our giving is determined or does determine how much we receive. And so God is not talking about staying poor either. There have been lots of people in the scriptures who were very wealthy people. God desires to bless people. But there is a principle at work here. The principle is, is that as you give, God will entrust to you more. And so it's okay to be motivated a little bit by the blessings that God has for us, right? I mean, again, I'm, I'm excited about the fact that God has provided heaven for us, aren't you? I'm really looking forward to that. And I have to be honest and say, a lot of times what I'm doing, I'm doing because I'm motivated about what God is going to give to me. I think that's a right motivation. But it still has to be balanced with the right heart, right? I'll only get what God has promised if I'm living in balance to what he's already said about everything else. As long as my heart is in love with him first and I'm obedient to the worldly things, then I got the rewards of heaven to look forward to. Okay, so it's not prosperity theology. It's the understanding that God wants to give to his people. He says in Luke 6, give and it will be given to you. 
They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. It's a good thing to think about. God says, okay, I love you. You're my child. You give a little bit, I'll give you back a little bit. You give a lot by faith, trusting me because you have the means to do so and you're doing it sacrificially. I'll bless you even more because you can trust me. I can do it. I can take care of you and I can make sure it happens. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully as long as you keep the right heart. This is not about, okay, I'm going to get something good here so I'm going to give this but I really don't want to. No, the heart is all about it. And, and understand this too. It doesn't always mean financial reward. Sometimes God blesses us with other things. Good health, right? Friendships, a community of believers. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be financial return. It could very well be something else. Security or whatever else. Can I tell you a neat story that has a lot of meaning to me? Um, we often, we as God's people, people in general, will talk about how we're going to survive in our latter days. Some of you are there now, right? You're wondering what's life going to look like? Who's going to take care of me? I've been so blessed these last couple months. As you know, my dad's health is failing a lot. We were just there um, a week ago, and uh, it was the first time dad didn't recognize me. And so he's changing a lot. But he has a caretaker. He's an African-American man strong in the Lord, just a faithful, dear brother who said to me, Bruce, he said, this is not my job. He works for a lady who cares, dad pays, but he said, this is a calling for me. And I started thinking about dad. I was literally right there on his bed and he was on his bed. He hadn't gotten out of bed in months now and uh, he's really getting frail. And I just, I said to, to Nat, that's the caregiver, I said, you know, Nat, I said, my dad has been one of the most generous men with money and his time that I've ever met in my life. He sees a need and he would give to it in a second, whether it's himself personally or financially. And what a blessing to see him on his last bed with a man who loves God caring for him like he does. You see the picture there? Am I giving that clearly to you? We wonder what God's going to do to take care of us. And we're so worried and fearful about the things of this life. Uh, and, and it can be gone just like that. But when we're faithful to what God has said for us to do, He's already got all that worked out. He will provide for us in His own, in his own way, in His own time. So just keep that registered in your mind. It was such a blessing for me. Maybe God will do the same thing. Okay, finally, we are to give in response to a need. I understand this could probably be a second message, but I was so excited, I just wanted to give it to you all. Here's the whole candy bucket. We're to give in response to a need. We saw that. <clears throat> you know, there are some professional beggars out here. That's just true. We've talked about this over the years. We're not required to give to professional people who mourn and cry. But we are to give when God touches our hearts and trust Him for it. Doesn't, doesn't matter what's going on with that person. We are to be wise, but we're to give as the need arises. As you determine the need, you give and you be settled on that, okay? 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul says to the church there, even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. 
Okay? There's a responsibility that God holds on professional people who beg. And we won't get into all the details of why they're there. God knows that. I'm talking about us. So we're not to look at every situation and say, oh, well, that's not a real need. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're to look at every situation and pray, Lord, is this a need that you want me to be a part of? You see the difference? We don't say, oh, that's not a need. Okay, well, if God tells you that, great. But otherwise, it's, Lord, show me how I can best help in this situation. All right? Someone once said, if we remember, God will forget. But if we forget, God will remember. Isn't that awesome? Let's don't spend our whole lives trying to figure out what we're going to get out of something and be the hypocrite. But let's do what God has told us to do. Again, so the point of the sermon is hypocrisy. Use that subject for whatever you want to use it for, but his emphasis here is with money, and that's why we spent the time talking about money because that's a big area that we struggle with, okay? All right, we're good at playing the hypocrite when it comes to that. God doesn't want us to be hypocrites, whether it's in our financial life or anything else, all right? Okay, let's pray together. Once again, Lord, we just uh, thank you for your love and your grace to us. I pray that we would never get tired of thanking you for what you've done for us. Lord, may we regularly see you high and holy and lifted up on your throne of grace because you have sacrificed yourself and paid the debt of our sin. Thank you, Lord, that you came to give your life for us. And because of that, we have the freedom to know you eternally. And now, Lord, secondly, we want to thank you for your instruction. Thank you for the times in life where you point out areas that we need to pay attention to because you want us to be more like you. So as we study this subject today of hypocrisy, Lord, I pray when we get into those tempting moments that you'll whisper in our hearts and minds in the middle of the moment to be careful, to say the words that are accurate, uh, to be clear in our meaning, and not to put on some show so that others think better of us. And Lord, I'm convinced that if we'll just do it your way, that the world will take notice of you in some way, shape, or form. But Lord, really what we want is for it to be, we want to be people that you want us to be. So thank you for this day. Thank you for our gathering. Thank you for the joy of gathering. And Lord, we'll give you the praise for it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It just so happens that we have a church members of our family, if they'll come up, to give you some tools to meet that challenge Pastor Bruce just mentioned about giving to the poor and needy. They are going to share a scripture song, and we're all going to learn it, okay? So put your little thinking caps on like our teachers used to tell us, right? So, and um, Roylene is going to introduce her little family, the Schaefer family. Hey guys, um, Missy asked us to uh, teach you guys uh, a song, and um, first we, we, we up here are going to sing it twice, and uh, on the third and the fourth time we'd like you guys to join in, okay? Um, what are we singing, Ruth? Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6.
all stand and sing it together with them this time, with your heart, okay? Trust the Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Thank you, guys. That was wonderful. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. And uh, boy, what a joy it is to be together as your family. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together. Sunday is a special day. Lord, even though we uh, often make it very routine, we thank you, Lord, for causing us to set this time aside. Lord, may it always and forever be special. And may you be glorified this day and this week as we go forward from here serving you faithfully. Lord, help us to not be hypocritical, but to be faithful servants of yours. We honor and bless you now and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Lord's blessings to you all. Have a good week. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah, please. Yeah, I was telling her I love the singing of scripture like that. Isn't that great? Wish I had a little zots. Isn't it funny what you remember? I bet I hadn't thought about that in years.